Well, good morning, everybody, and welcome to Gospel Saving Church. Praise God. I'm so glad you're here. Thank you for joining us today. Another beautiful day the Lord's given us. Uh, I hope you didn't come to church today to be entertained. Uh, I passed the church along as I was driving along this morning. I had to go somewhere, and I, I went to a church, passed by a church that I do know they entertained people, and the parking lot was, it looked like Disney. You, you could see all the, the thousands of cars out there, and and unfortunately, I'm, I'm, I'm afraid to say that probably those people are going to that church because they want to be entertained. They're not, here to, they're not there to hear the Word of God or grow in the Word of God or come to love God or know how to worship God. They're there so that they can be entertained and have a good time. And Well, I hope we have a good time here at Gospel Saving Church and you keep coming to Gospel Saving Church because not that we have a good time with the things we do, but I hope we have a good time with the Word of the Lord that we learn because that's why we should be at church for loving one another and learning His Word and learning how to follow His Word and learning how to follow Him. If this is your first time at Gospel Saving Church, hello, I'm Pastor Ed, and I come to you from McKinney, Texas. This is Gospel Saving Church, one of God's true churches of these last days, and this is our weekly broadcast of truth from God's Word. I'll, we always start with a word of prayer, so if you guys would please join me, and we got to ask the Lord to help us understand His Word, for we know that in, the, in our own minds, we, we can't understand God's Word. We're Totally void of that. Our flesh cannot understand the things of God. So, Lord, we, we love you, and we praise you, and we thank you. And we come before you, Lord, and, and as, as a group, as a body, as uh, people all over the world, Lord God, that, that join us every week, Lord God. And we, we thank you, Lord God, for, for uh, this ministry, Lord. We thank you for our lives. We thank you for our families, Lord. We thank you how, how you take care of us every day, Lord. We, we just thank you so much for everything, Lord. Uh, help us be people, Lord God, that... Uh, don't just look past all the many blessings and all the many great things that you do in our lives every day. For Lord, there's a world full of people like that, Lord, that they walk through life and they're not thankful that they have breath in their lungs and clean air to breathe or good bottled water to drink and healthy food, Lord God. They just they take those things for granted, Lord, and all those things you have given, Lord, to show that you're good, Lord, for it's the goodness of God that leads men to repentance. So, Lord, we pray, Lord, that we'd be those that realize the things that are around us and the beautiful nature and the beautiful homes that we have and all the many blessings that we have that we wouldn't take them for granted. And then help us, Lord God, to give you the glory and not our own hand, for Lord, you you give all good things. So Lord, we, we love you, we praise you, we ask you to help us understand the words that I'm about to speak today, Lord God. Help us to understand your word, and God. Help us to not only understand your word, but help us to do the things that your word says to do. Father God, for it's not just enough to just understand and know something, Lord. If that knowledge doesn't lead to some type of action, Lord God, then that knowledge is useless. Lord God, we know lots of things, but those lots of things that we know don't cause us to do something. And that knowledge is just useless knowledge. It's just in our head and doesn't benefit us at all. Lord, we love you and praise you and thank you and ask all these things in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen. So we're going to be... Back today in Acts chapter 14, we're going to be in verses 21 through 28. I'll give you a, a moment to get there in your Bibles. Again, that's Acts chapter 14, verses 21 through 28. The title of our new sermon today, I love the title. I wrestled between two different types of titles here for this message, but this is the one I felt like the Lord told me to go through. While, you're going, while I'm going through the message, about the first quarter of the message, I think you might be able to hear the first title that I had initially picked, and you could tell me after the message and see if you can pick it up. But the title of the message, God finally said it on my heart, is For Love's Sake. Simple, three words. The other one was going to kind of be long. For Love's Sake. We're going to read Acts chapter 14, verses 21 through 28 now. So if you guys want to join me, or you can just listen along, whichever you'd like to do. The Bible says this. And when they had preached the gospel in that city and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, exhorting them to continue in the faith and saying, We must through many tribulations enter the kingdom of God. So when they had appointed elders in every church and prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord in whom they had believed. And after they had passed through Poseidon, they came to Pamplonia. When they had preached the word in Perga, they went down to Adaliah, and from there they sailed to Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work which they had completed. Now when they had come and gathered the church together, they reported all that God had done with them, and that he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. 
So they stayed there a long time with the disciples. And that would, of course, be in the church. Acts 14, 21. When they had preached the gospel to that city and made many disciples. Remember, right now, they are in the city of Derby, right? And remember, the reason they're there uh, was even because the people from Antioch and Iconium had come to Lystra to persuade those to stone Paul and hope that they would kill him. For that's the only reason why you want to stone somebody is to kill him. And as we just read, praise the Lord, just like Luke records there, the apostles make many disciples in Derby. Praise God again for the success of the gospel. Now, you'd think that after many disciples were made, after many people get saved, you'd think that the disciples, the apostles there, would have wanted to stay there and they would have wanted to kind of build them up in their faith, right? I mean, that's kind of the thing. It's like a, I call it, it's an old term, it's called disciple cycle, right? You train up some, you help somebody get saved, then you disciple them and then they go out and then they disciple somebody else and then they go out and they get somebody saved and they disciple them. It's like a disciple cycle. It's a, it's a, it's a cycle that God wants us to do, but do they do that? No. Look at the first part of verse 21, where we'll be spending most of the time in our sermon today. They returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch. Now, wait a minute. Did you just hear what I just read? Let's read it again in case you didn't hear me right. Second half of verse 21 there again. They returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch. I can't believe what we even just read. And I can't believe even more than that, that the disciples actually did what was written there. In case you didn't catch the enormity of what Luke just wrote, I've been through this section of scripture probably dozens of times, and I never realized that that one little half of a verse meant so much. I never realized it until this week I was praying. I said, God, show me what you want me to teach these people this week, Lord. I, I don't know what to teach. I was looking at the scripture, and then the Lord opened my eyes and showed me, and I was blown away. But in case you didn't get the enormity of what was written in that verse, let's talk about it for a while. We're going to spend most of our time here. Luke just told us there in verse 21 that the disciples went back to the previous three cities that they had just preached the gospel in. What happened in those cities? On the surface, it doesn't sound like much. But think about what happened to the disciples, our apostles, in those last three cities. Let's let's have a little refresher. The first city they revisited, which Luke lists off for us, there is Antioch. Remember in Antioch, our disciples go into a synagogue, Paul preaches an awesome sermon to both the Jews and the Gentile converts to Judaism that were there. And while it didn't seem as if the Jews appreciated his message, the Gentiles do. And they ask Paul to come back to speak the same things the next Sabbath on the next week. The next Sabbath, the Bible records that almost the whole city comes together to hear Paul's words. And the Jews who don't receive Jesus Christ, well, they get jealous. And they come against the apostles. And Paul, and basically they're, they're against him, they're standing against him, and Paul kind of boldly sits up and he says, hey, you know what? You judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, so you know what? God's done with you, we're going to move on to the Gentiles now. The, some good news came, verse 49, Luke tells us that because of their work to spread the gospel, because they stopped going to the Jews and then they started going to the Gentiles, and then God sprang up the, the salvation for the Gentiles and multitudes of Gentiles were getting saved and the Bible says that the word of God spread throughout the whole region for the Gentiles and praise God for that but then some bad news Acts 13 50 Luke tells us sadly that as the word of the Lord was being spread throughout the region the, Jer- the Jews remember well they get angry and so they stir up these devout and prominent women and these other Jewish people and they raise up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and what do they do they expel them from their region they were expelled or th- kicked out or banished, the Bible says, from the whole region, the Bible says. And and Strong's Concordance tells us that this being banished or kicked out probably included the threat of violence. So it wasn't just like a suggestion, hey guys, uh, you know, could could you leave? You know, it's not really the best for you to be here. No, no, no. These God Almighty and Jesus Christ hating people of this region didn't just ask them to leave nicely. It wasn't a leave. It was a leave now or else kind of thing. Oh, and, and and without any offer of, hey, come on back and see us sometime, would you please? No, they were asked and they were forced. They were basically vomited 
out of the region with the, with the chance of with the, hey, if you don't leave, this is what's going to happen to you. Now, back to verse 21, what God showed me. Remember what Luke just told us here in Acts 14. Remember, these disciples just visited this same city again. They go back through this same city again. Now, think consequences here, please. What do you think happens when the masses of a region, because that's what it was. It wasn't just a couple people. It was the masses that they kind of gathered together. When the masses of a region who told these apostles to leave under the threat of violence, what do you think happens consequences-wise when they find out that they come back? Think consequences now. I can tell you most definitely it wasn't a warm welcome. (laughs) This trip could have easily cost the disciples their lives. It really could have. Think of it. Think consequences. Get out or else they leave for a little while. I mean, maybe a week or two or three, and then they come back. Easily. This trip could have cost them their lives. What about the next city that Luke records that they went to? Iconium. Was it any better? A refresher. Beginning at Acts 14, the disciples basically flee to Iconium. After being expelled or kicked out of Antioch, they find their way into a synagogue, and the Lord gives them great success with the gospel. For as they preach the Bible, the Bible tells us, Acts, verse 1 of Acts 14, a great multitude of both the Jews and the Greeks believed. But then sadly, what happens again? The unbelieving Jews see it and poison the minds of the Gentiles who had believed. But praise the Lord. The apostles stay for a long time, remember, and they do all kinds of signs and wonders to try to win the backsliders back to Christ. Does it work? Sadly, the Bible says only some of them actually come back, but not all. But in the end there, lastly, there in that city, the evil people just couldn't stand. Remember, we talked about this in that sermon that we taught on this section. The evil people just couldn't stand the apostles and the disciples being there. And in, Acts, in verse 5 of verse, uh, chapter 14, Luke tells us that a violent attempt was made by, mo- by both the Gentiles and the Jews against Paul and Barnabas with their rulers to abuse and to stone them. Now, thankfully, Paul and Barnabas are able to flee and escape safely to Lystra to preach another day. But again, remember again here what our whole premise is for this half of this verse. Remember what Luke writes to us in verse 21 of Acts 14, our current section of Scripture. This is one of the cities that they just returned to. Now, seriously, do you see what I'm talking about? I had never seen this before. God was showing me this trip could have easily cost them their lives for what do you think would have happened if those who plotted to kill paul in verse 5 had heard he was back maybe this time they wouldn't have been so open about their plot to kill him and maybe this time they probably would have succeeded being a little bit more secretive but either way it wasn't going to be all right we're so glad you're back it'd be a hey he's back Let's strike it up again. Let's go. That was the chance that they took going back to this city. They, they, they braved the chance that these leaders would find out. And you know where they went? They weren't quiet about who they were. They were, they were open. They were bold about Jesus Christ. They were bold, right? So, of course, this is, what I'm show, this is what I'm saying. God showed me going back through these three cities, this trip could have easily cost them their lives. What about our last city, the city of Lystra, the one that they just came from before the current day, the current city that they're in now, Derby. Uh, remember what happened to them there? The worst of all. Paul gets stoned, right? Verse 19, they go there, Paul preaches, they had some success with the gospel. Verse 19 tells us that they stoned Paul, drag him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. Now, again, our current verse, verse 21, Luke just tells us here that these same apostles just returned to this same city, the very city that he, Paul, had just been pronounced dead in by the locals. What? Why in the world? I mean, this is crazy. This trip could have cost them their lives easily. That was the initial first title of the sermon. That's what the what was on my heart, but the Lord was like, no, this one's better. This is the one I want. But anyway, this whole little idea here is just blew my mind. I never saw this before. I've been reading the Bible over for, for almost 18 years, 19 years. And the Lord had never showed me that this trip could have cost them their lives by the, just the simple fact of them going back through these cities. Could have, the leaders there, the people that were going to kill them there, it wouldn't have been good if they would have found out they were back, and it wouldn't have been good 
because they told him to leave, they expelled him, they, in two of the cities they tried to kill him. Now, now, now preaching what I have so far, there is one question that begs an answer. What is it? Why do these crazy apostles brave this amazingly treacherous trip, a trip that have co- could have cost them their lives? Well, thankfully, the Bible gives us the answer in the next verse. That's not always the case. The Bible doesn't always 100% comment on itself, but it does here, thanks be to God. Verse 22, look at the first part of verse 22. It says that they went back strengthening of the strengthening of the disciples, exhorting them to continue in the faith and saying, we must through many tribulations enter the kingdom of God. So do you see the answer? Yeah, I know what they did, but what's the real answer there? That's the new real title of our sermon. They do it for love. Love, 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 and more love. Title of the sermon. They do it for love's sake. A a love that went beyond the fear or care of the lives of their earthly lives, I should say. Love for the people who had come to accept Christ or those who had come to the saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ to help them along in their walks with the Lord Jesus Christ. The apostles didn't care that their travels and visits back to these three cities could have cost them their earthly lives. All they cared about were the eternal lives of the people who had received Christ, and they cared about their eternity. For you see, true biblical love means true sacrifice. This is true biblical love. Their love, biblical love, is a sacrificial love, a love without limits. They didn't say, oh, well, you know, we could die going back through those cities, so, you know, we better not go. No. Paul knew that Christ spoke these words in John 15, 12, and 13. This is my commandment, Jesus said. Now, when you hear those words, this is my commandment, that's not a suggestion. Jesus is not going, well, you know, if you kind of want to. No, he said, this is my commandment. Then he tells them what the greater love is, verse 13. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. And Paul knew that Christ meant every word and that Christ expected his spiritual children, and still today, by the way, even to lay down their lives for one another for love's sake. And so... Paul's greater love for his new fellow Christian converts caused him and Barnabas to take the trip at the possible cost of losing their own earthly lives. Now, why was it so important and necessary for Paul and Barnabas to take this trip to strengthen the disciples they made in these three cities at the cost of losing their earthly lives for love's sake? This is, a, this is another kind of idea to the to the section of scripture that we're looking at today it's a very powerful theme and and we should all think about it like take some real consideration and think about what the bible really says here remember the second part of verse 22 luke tells us here that they went to exhorting them to continue in the faith exhorting that means that means that they were like come on man come on we got to continue in the faith come on man don't give up we got to continue to push forward. And then with the statement, the statement that you won't hear taught in many churches this day, we must through many tribulations enter the kingdom of God. And Paul Barnabas knew that well, as again, two out of the three cities that they preached in the last they're going through now, they could have been killed in anyway. Uh, the apostles were compelled to come at the, loss, uh, at the cost of losing their lives to exhort, to preach fervently to them that they should continue And they do it all for love's sake, even reminding them, again, of the treacherous evils and terrible things that are going to come upon them. But why do they do that? What was the purpose of doing that? Well, if we think, uh, why why this message was so important for them to give, if we're being honest with ourselves, if we're being honest with why we really think that, why would someone, think of this, why would someone risk their own lives to preach this type of message to born-again believers. Why? Why would they do that? You you must admit, if you're being honest, that it's because there's a possibility of the opposite of what they preached happening to these believers. There must have been a possibility. And what I mean by that is, if you're encouraging someone to continue in the faith, 
then the possibility that they won't continue in their faith in Jesus Christ has to be addressed, right? It has to be addressed. Uh, what would happen to them if they stopped following Jesus Christ? What would happen to them if they stopped having faith in Jesus Christ, right? The honest conclusion we must, we are forced to come to, if we're being honest, despite any things we've been taught in other churches, or the honest conclusion we must come to here must be to say that if they don't continue in their faith in Christ until they die, then they won't make it to heaven. That's the honest conclusion that we must come to here. For you see, again, I, I, I pressure these points because I see these points as so valid. Paul and Barnabas would have not taken this trip at the possible cost of their lives to preach words of exhortation to these people to tell them that they need to keep going in Jesus Christ in their faith and not to give up, even warning them of the dangers that were, that were possible that were going to be coming upon them if it were not possible that they not continue. Right? There's a doctrine, a teaching nowadays in our, that uh, the majority of churches in the world hold, and that's that once someone gets saved, and that's it. They're, they're saved until the end, and that there's nothing that they can do to back out. And there's nothing they can do to give it away or to forfeit it or not to be saved. Yet, again, you see here, if it wasn't possible for these new converts to fall away, why brave your life to go back to these cities to tell them a message of keep going if they just if there's no way they can stop. It's simple logic. We're forced to think about this. Please think about this concept, despite what you may have been taught on this subject by another teacher in another church. Nobody, nobody no danger of loss of eternal life means no exhortation to keep going. It would just be like, let's have a praise and worship service. Let's talk about Jesus Christ. Let's talk about how good he is because we're all going to be there. There's no, again, no danger of loss of eternal life equals no exhortation to keep going. Equals I don't have to go back through these same three cities and almost lose my life because of this message. <laughs> now, an idiot would exhort a born-again believer who was once saved, always saved, to continue in the faith in Jesus Christ. And, and, you know, because if they couldn't lose it, I, I'm an idiot if I got to teach that. And I, I assure you, Paul and Barney, Barnabas were not idiots. They were crazy in the concept of their sacrificial love for these new converts and their desire for these new babes in Christ to actually make it to heaven because they cared about them and their eternal life with God. But they were not idiots. And I assure you, Ladies and gentlemen, they would have not braved the loss of their earthly lives to come back to these three cities and visit these babes in Christ with the message of exhortation to keep going in the faith of Jesus Christ if it were not possible for these spiritual children of God to lose or forfeit their eternal life. So, in a sense, in the end, not go to heaven if they were not careful to continue to endure into the end of their lives with Jesus Christ. Which is exactly, though, what Jesus said in, in Matthew 24, 13, and really the whole section of Scripture that he taught before that. 24, 13, but he who endures to the end shall be saved. It doesn't say that once you're saved, there's any guarantees that you will. It says, but he who endures, meaning you have to continue on in Christ. You have to continue on in your faith. You have to continue on believing. You have to continue on following, and then you shall be saved. And look at the whole section of scripture, which really, it really emulates kind of Paul's mini message here in Acts chapter 14, 24, 3 through 13, listen to what Jesus says to his disciples. Now, now, as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us when these things will be and what will be the sign of your coming in the end of the age. And Jesus answered to them, take heed that no one deceives you. <laughs> For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ and will deceive many. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not troubled for all these things must come to pass. But the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And there'll be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in various places. And all these are the beginning of sorrows. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you. And you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will be offended and will betray one another and will hate one another. And many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. And because lawlessness will abound... The love of many will go, grow cold. Now, didn't Paul just say in our message in Acts 14 
Oh, and through many trials and tribulations, we must make it into the kingdom of heaven. What did Jesus just say there? He said, hey, by the way, but he who endures the end must be, or will be saved. But then he said, by the way, that's not the end. Hey, all these bad things, oh, they're coming. All of these bad things. All, watch out, famines, and they're going to kill you, and you're going to be persecuted, and there are gonna be, people are going to be offended with you. Basically, Paul kind of minimizes in one little verse what Jesus just spoke in a whole section. And then verse 13, after all these bad things, which if you're thinking in your mind, can you use logic here for a moment? I'm going to challenge you. Do we have to endure easy things? Or do we have to endure hard things? The last time I looked, I didn't have to endure that, that fudge Sunday that I had, right? That, that banana split, right? But what I have to endure is waking up at 4.40 in the morning every morning and getting my butt out of bed in the winter when it's cold and it's 15 degrees outside and I don't really want to go to work. And I got to endure continuing to get up in the morning and I have to continue to take my shower or get dressed and go out into the cold weather and then I got to braid the trip to work. And then I, oh man, and that's hard. And, And let me tell you, because that's hard, many people don't endure. Many people quit their jobs because of that. They don't want to keep going. They don't want to keep all that trial and tribulation and heartache. That's when you quit. That's what you have to endure. And I'm going to tell you by what scripture says, following Jesus Christ is like getting up at 4 40 in the morning and have to go out into a blazing blizzard and 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 try and trudging through the this and the that. It's not like eating an ice it's not like eating a hot fudge Sunday. Let me tell you what. Following Jesus Christ is hard. It's not easy. And so that's why I say, Christians, to go to heaven, to be saved eternally, please listen. It's not just enough that you receive Christ and become born again. You must receive Christ, be born again. Then you must endure in Christ by faith, continuing to follow him and obey him with all your heart, mind, and life until you die. It's no different than than this is if you start running a race. If you started running a race, but you do not finish the race, you will not receive any prize. If you start a race and you don't finish, you're not going to get a ribbon. Nobody's even going to give you a pat on the back. Instead, you're going to be considered what? A loser. A quitter. Right? Unless you actually finish the race you began, you will get no prize. Right? Same as with getting saved. Same as with coming to love Jesus Christ. Same with coming to love God. The same as husbands. The same as wives. The same as coming to love your wife and wives your husbands. Marriages take endurance. Marriage is not easy at all. I love my wife. We've been married almost 23 years. But marriage is not easy. It makes, means compromise. It means a sacrifice. And because marriage is hard, that's why 50% of all marriages in America right now, first marriages, are ending in divorce. That's why. Well, no different from God and no different from Jesus Christ. If we had our free will to come, we have our free will to leave. And that's why, please understand, That's why we must endure in Christ and not give up in order to receive our eternal crown. And that's why, for love's sake, at the cost of losing their lives, Paul and Barnabas braved this treacherous journey to give this powerful message of continuing the faith in Jesus Christ to these new babes in Christ. They do not want the work of the gospel that they help these people come to be born again to be wasted. Same thing Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15, 1 and 2. Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received and which you stand, by which also you are saved if, there's the word if, if you hold fast that word which I preached to you unless you believed in vain. Paul did not want these Christians in these last three cities to have believed in vain. He wanted them to hold fast to the word that he had preached to them. And so that's why he went 
back. Really, this doctrine or teaching that most pastors of the Christian faith would have you believe is that once you become born again, then nothing, no matter what, can prevent you from being without Jesus Christ forever and going to heaven. But the Bible, taken literally and contextually, using common sense and logic, clearly screams that this is not a correct teaching. Really, this teaching of Oasis, or once saved, always saved, is really from the devil himself. He created it to trick Christians into forfeiting their eternal lives away easily so that he can drag them back to hell so that they won't be with God forever because he hates us. He absolutely hates us. How can this Oasis idea, this unsaved always idea, uh, unsaved always saved idea, trick, or it has tricked and will trick God's children into forfeiting their eternal salvation? Well, think about this. If you have a treasure that you should keep safe, then you must guard it carefully, right, and be cautious with it. That's the common sense. I've been given a great treasure. I don't just put it out in the middle of my driveway for anybody that's driving by because then somebody's going to come up and take it. I mean, people happen all the time, right? And I, I don't even have to, it's not by force that they have to come and take it. They just walk up on my driveway, say somebody gave me $100 million in gold. Wish they would, but I, if somebody did and I set it out on my driveway, I'll guarantee you that within probably a couple days, the only thing that'd be left are some footprints around. Somebody take it, right? We're supposed to keep treasure we're given safe. But if you're taught that your treasure's safe, no matter what you do, and that you can't ever lose it or give it away, then what happens? Well, then you don't guard it. You don't have to be careful with it. It's my treasure. I've been giving up. It's safe. I'm good. Then what? Then you just leave it out on your driveway, or you just leave your door open, and you just leave it unguarded. And really, nobody has to steal it from you, because basically, you're giving them an invitation. Here, come. I'm giving it to you. Come and take it. Uh, here, it's easy right there. There you go. And that really was Jesus Christ's message to his kids in John 10. In John 10, Jesus Christ says that no one can snatch away a child of God's salvation. But this snatch away, when you look to the Strong's, means that they have to take it forcefully. And that is true. Nobody can walk up to a born-again believer and touch him on the chest and go, I'm taking your eternal life now and you have nothing to do with it. You're, that's it. It's gone. Now, that's true. Nobody can take it away from you. But he, he never says that a child of God can't give it away or forfeit it away themselves. This is our responsibility, Christians, to make sure we're guarding our hearts and our eternal life treasure with Jesus Christ until we finish our races of faith with him and we're standing in the winner's circle with God Almighty in Christ in heaven. So, Christians, my exhortation before I, you know, I'm going to go on a little bit, but just as a break here, my exhortation to you is verse 22. Praise God. Be warned your eternal life with Jesus Christ is only safe when you're actually in heaven. And so please continue in your faith in Jesus Christ. And remember, we must go through all kinds of trials and tribulations. We must go through all kinds of trials and tribulations to enter the kingdom of God. Now, although this was a powerful message that Paul gave them, these new converts, this message was only the beginning of what he and Barnabas braved the loss of their lives for love's sake to do. Look at the uh, verse 23 for the rest. So when they had appointed elders in every church and prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord in whom they had believed. They strengthen each church that they go to. Not only preaching messages of exhortation, but they strengthen each church they go to. How? By designating leaders, strong men of God that had been believers for a while to run those churches. For you see, as much as I love to preach and to listen to a good message, one good message is just one good message. But one good message doesn't help a saved person continue in Christ for the long haul. It gets me through that day, and it may get me through a week or two, but as the days and weeks and years and even the decades go on for a child of God, one message, unless you have it tape recorded and you continue to listen to it every other day or every week, is not going to help you in the long haul, right? Over the years, over the decades, right? I can, barely, I can barely remember the message that I taught a month ago unless I go back and listen to it, and I taught it. 
And I taught it. So one good message is just one good message. And Paul and Barnabas knew that without the structure of a good, strong, structured church with strong leadership, that these babes in Christ banding together as a group of believers in a solid, literal church structure with those strong church leaders, that they wouldn't do well to inherit eternal life either. For a true, good, strong God-centered church, same as we see today, brick and mortar, uh, the ones we know in our godly churches with leaders, pastors, elders, and overseers, this is what a Christian needs in order to help him along on his walk with Jesus Christ. Christians being involved in and, and, and being part of God, one of God's true churches and under the authority of one of God's true leaders will not just help your walk with Christ, but it's also necessary to help you guard your life, your eternal life, and to keep it safe and to help you finish the race. That's why Paul writes what he does, Galatians 6, 2. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assemblings of one another together, as in the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. God made this gathering together in church, not just in fellowship, that's good too, but in a church setting with a specific leadership structure, just like we see here, to help his kids live the lives he has laid out for us to live and to help us endure to the end. Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 10, what what does Solomon write? Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, one will lift up his companion. But woe to him who is alone when he falls, for he has no one to help him up. Uh, So important was this being in church. You say, oh, Pastor Ed, you're just overdoing this church thing. And I don't believe in church, you know, and and, and leadership and a brick and mortar building. We, uh, you know, we're just the, we're just the church of God, you know, universally, you know, wherever we go. Well, listen, I'm not done. So important was being in church with a church structure like we see today and, and strong godly men in leadership to Paul and Barnabas. It was so important to them. We're going to breeze through a couple here. Read verses 24 and 25 quickly. After they had passed through Poseidon, they came to Papillonia. Then when they had preached the word in Perga, they went down to Adelaide. So they did a little bit more preaching, verse 26. From there they sailed to Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work which they had completed. Now, understand... This is not the Antioch in the country of Poseidon. If you remember, the disciples passed through two Antiochs on their travels. One was in Poseidon, one was in Syria. This is the one, because at the end of the verse, from there they sailed to Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work which they had completed. This is the church where they were serving in, before Christ called them to the greatest missionary journey of all time. They weren't just freelance Christians out hanging out in the middle of nowhere. Oh, oh, the Lord wants us to do that. Boom, no. The calling came in the church while they were serving in the church, while they were there building up the body, being part of the body. That's where the calling came in the church in Antioch in Syria. And just look at what they do when they get back to Antioch. Look at our last two verses of today. Verses 27, 28. Now, when they had come and gathered the church together, the church, notice, they reported, notice it wasn't, now, if you have to gather the church together, that means that (laughs) they didn't just go out and just, oh, well, you know, tell your brother, tell brother so-and-so, tell brother so-and-so, tell brother Obadiah, hey, he gathered the church together, talk about a gathering together. They reported all that God had done with them, that he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles, verse 28, so they stayed there a long time with the disciples, with their leaders in that church. No matter how you slice it, Christians, God had them go back to the church. Uh, the church, uh, uh, one more time, the church, I think, I think you get my point. And it was there at that church in Antioch that they stayed until God commissioned them to go on their next missionary journey. But really, we won't read about that biblically for a while. They don't do that for a while. The next time our disciples go out of the structure of the church will be when they go back to these same three churches all throughout this last journey that they went on, strengthening these last people that came to know the Lord 
And because they had a new holy decree for them, the devil comes here. We're going to read about it in a little bit. The devil comes in in the form of, of other so-called believers and starts to try to get Christians to start living under the old covenant again with all this circumcision stuff and all this nonsense that they go on. And so they actually have to go out to strengthen and encourage these believers and give them kind of a whole new living set as far as, hey, you don't have to live according to the law of the Old Testament. These are what are important to God and Christ and so on and so so on and so forth, which means that they stayed in the church, serving the church for a long time until God called them to go to other churches, back to other churches, and strengthening them. Then eventually they go on to do evangelism more, but that it was to plant more churches. So church Christians is unavoidable. Now today we read of the apostles Paul and Barnabas going on to Derby, making many disciples, praise God again. But then uh, they do a pretty darn amazingly crazy thing. They decide to go back through the cities they had preached the gospel in to help the people that had turned to Jesus Christ in their walks and to help them along their way to heaven so that they didn't lose their way and fall back to the road to hell. And they do all this, title again here, for love's sake because they travel to help their brethren at the risk of them losing their earthly human lives to these same cities where they were heavily persecuted in. Remember, where two out of the three cities, they even faced death or almost the possibility of death. And to help them, Paul, once he gets to these these churches as he was going through them when he got to each of them paul preaches these this powerful message in each of them uh, of endurance and he and barnabas set up powerful church structure appointing strong leadership with pastors or overseers to make the church strong to help these christians stay strong in their faith not just for a day not just for a week or even for a month or year but what until they die until they come to the end, maybe years, maybe decades later, and they're safe at home with God and Christ once they finish their race of faith. Christians, I, I can't stress enough, uh, for love's sake, I can't stress enough the idea of endurance in Christ through faith and obedience to His Word and His teachings, and staying rooted and grounded in the church God Almighty wants you in, that He ordained for you to be in, that the Christians there, especially the leaders there, can help you with your walk with the Lord. These ways are the only ways that real born-again Christians stay the course and finish the race of faith that God Almighty has for them to run. Christians, again, Please, I, I want to warn you, getting saved and being born again is not the end. And then you just get to go to heaven. Oh, I, I got saved, I got born again, and then I'm done. That's it. That's just the beginning. Christ in the Bible, as we looked at today, teaches that once a person comes to be born again and saved, then we must endure to the end of our, of our lives in Christ. Or until we die, or until Christ comes back staying in the faith in Jesus Christ totally and trusting in Jesus Christ absolutely, following His Word, obeying His teachings in order to inherit eternal life with God. And this includes you staying and being part of a church that God wants you to be in. For guess what? Jesus Christ, the apostles, and the Bible all taught church, a structured church, not just Church as the universal body of Christ that has no accountability to anybody and, and you know, they have no leader and so on and so forth. We are a universal church in God. But we are also a people that are called to come together for the community of church in a building to be a part of one another's lives, to be accountable to one another, and then God has leaders that we're supposed to be accountable as well to. And if you stop, here, here's the warning, like, you know, the, the what happens if you don't. If you stop or, or give up or, or begin to live a life of disobedience towards Christ in His ways, without coming back or, or without repentance. That means, okay, so you fell. Repentance means that you stop that way, that false way, that apostate way, that disobedient way, and you turn back to the path. If you continue on the wrong path, not turning back to him, not following him, not living for him again, then the Bible says clearly 
that no matter whether you were born again or whatever, saved initially or whatever, that meant nothing. And the Bible says that you will suffer the same fate as the person who never knew Christ or was never saved. I, I exhort you, please, if you've been born again, please keep going for Christ and having faith in Him and obeying Him, His Word, His teachings, until you die or He comes back and gets you. And I love you very much, and I want to spend eternity in heaven with you forever. And remember that verse 22, along the way, it's not going to be like eating a hot fudge Sunday. Verse 22, we must through many trials and tribulations enter the kingdom of God. That means that garbage has and is going to come big time, but we must keep going and not give up despite it, or else we chance without coming back losing our eternal lives in the end. And I tell you this, and let me tell you, I tell you this for love's sake. For because I preach these ways, the way of the Bible, the way God shows me His Word with logic and simple truths, I'm not real popular. I'm not a, I'm not a preacher that has millions of people that listen to me, and, and, I, and I'm not a, a fellow in Houston that has a 5,000, 10,000 member church. Because I preach these ways. So, so these ways that I preach, these truthful ways, cause me to be unpopular. So for love's sake, I tell you anyway. Because I don't care how popular I am. I care that you make it to heaven, that we spend it together forever. Now, that's my exhortation for those that belong to God. Do you even belong to God today? Do you even belong to Jesus Christ today? Are you even truly saved today? And if so, how do you know? <laughs> Biblically, a real Christian should bear fruit of being a real Christian. Love should be part of our lives. Sacrificial love, not just a pseudo-love where we say we love one another, but you know that oh, it's just all just a warm feeling. Sacrificial love should be part of your life and walk with Christ. Following Christ's ways abstaining from evils, not sinning, not lying, not being caught up in adultery, not being caught up in fornication, not going out on the road and, and running people off the road and doing 100 mile an hour in a 50 mile an hour road. A real Christian obeys the law of the land, obeys the speed limit. We watch our mouths. We make sure our mouths speak holy things. Do these things line up for you? Or do you call yourself a Christian? But, you know, I go to church once in a while and, you know, that's your you know, thing. And then when people look at your lives, they wouldn't think that you follow Jesus Christ. They think that you follow yourself or they think that, they, you know, you follow the devil. Or that's what I see when I'm driving along Highway 75 going toward Dallas and I see someone that I'm doing the speed limit. And the fellow pulls up next to me and they got a church symbol on the back of their car and they got a, a Jesus loves you or an ichthys fish and they're doing 80 or 90 or 100 and a 70 and then they cut me off to the point where it almost runs me out the road all because I'm doing the speed limit. That's what I think. That person thinks that they're a Christian. But you know what? That person, unfortunately, the Bible says is most likely deceived. So Christians, or people that think you're Christians, or those maybe, how do you know? Uh, Jesus says, Matthew 7, 21, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. But it's he who does the will of my Father in heaven. What's God's will for salvation? And if you say it works, then you're off. What's God's will for salvation? And the Bible says it can't be works. And do you know it? And if you don't know it, what his will is for salvation... How do you know you're doing it? If you don't even know what it is, how can you possibly be practicing it? So, so please, God wants you to know His will, and I'm not going to tell you what His will is because I want you to seek if you care. Uh, so many today, oh, they just give this one pop answer, oh, Jesus, oh, oh, Jesus, I need you, and that's it, and then they think they're saved. But then they go back to living their same lives and no, there's no regeneration and there's no spiritual birth or anything. They just think that they're born again and saved because they prayed some kind of prayer. But the Bible really says, seek and you shall find. Seek God. 
if you care, if you care about your eternal life, and you're not quite sure that you do belong to Him, because while well, you look at your life and your life is just full of sin, and you know you don't realize, you know, I go to church once in a while. I don't, I don't ever read the Bible. That's that that that's not really doing God's will at all. Even if you were saved, that's not doing God's will. So so if you don't know those things and you're in doubt. Seek the Lord. Jesus said, for all those who seek shall find. Seek the Lord in his word if you care. Put forth some effort and show God that you're actually interested in him. And then, you know, ask the Lord, Lord, what does it mean to be saved? What is your will unto salvation? God laid it all out in the word of God. It's right there. Pretty plain and simple. It's all from Genesis to Revelation. God's word's the same. Tells people how to be saved. Believe it or not. But it does. Real easy, but you got to show God you care. And you got to show God that you're interested and put, some, put forth some effort in trying to find out what God says. And then when God sees you putting forth some effort and you care and you actually care about Him and the way He says how to have eternal life with Him, man, He'll bring you to be saved. You just have to ask Him. That's all. You just have to ask Him, God, I want to be saved. Lead me in that way. He, he, Jesus Christ died, gave up His life on the cross to be a sacrificial love offering for you but you won't even pick up your Bible or, or you go to church once in a while and, and you think that that's sacrificially loving God. Come on. It's time to change. It's time to turn. It's time to turn to the Lord and seek His face. Please, whoever you are, turn to the Lord and seek His face. He wants you to be in heaven forever with Him and He wants you to have eternal life and have peace now, but will you turn? Will you seek? God loves you. Please turn to the Lord and seek Him now. Let's pray, and I'll, and I'll pray for even you right now. Lord, thank you so much for your love. Thank you so much for your grace, and thank you so much for your sacrificial love, Lord God, that you show us in your word. God, thank you so much, Lord God, that, uh, Father God, the way of salvation, the way to know you, the way to walk with you, the way to walk stronger with you, Lord God, the way to know you more, the way to know you at all, Lord, it's all found in your word. And thank you, Lord God, that we have your word. Thank you that it is or can be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Lord, but do we care? Do we care about what you say enough to crack your word, to get on our knees, to start praying, to start asking you about these things? Do we care enough about our eternal lives? Do we care enough about your will or what you even want right now to even humble ourselves and come to you and seek you on these issues? And I pray, dear God in heaven, that the people that are listening to this message all over the world, God in heaven, that they would do these things that they would take into their own hands what you've given us, Lord. You really, you said I'm the Savior and we can't save ourselves, but Lord, you left the seeking part up to us. You won't force us to strong arm us, Lord, or, you know, shove us up against a a, a wall and say, you're going to be saved and you're going to be mine. Lord, that's that's up to us, Lord. You, You set forth the salvation. You said it's up to us. Or whether we want to know you or not, whether we'll seek upon the information that we have. God, please help people to set their hearts upon you and seek you for your ways and for your salvation and to know you. And Lord, we thank you for all that you do for us, Lord. We thank you for, Lord, this message and all the truths in this message, God. I pray that people would be encouraged and and strengthened and that they would follow you and even follow you more and, and even follow you stronger. We thank you and love you and praise you. And ask all these things in Jesus Christ's mighty name. Amen.